Hello and welcome to the Art of Communication podcast with me, Robin Kermode. For more information on my online public speaking masterclass, visit robinkermode.com. This is the first of our Communication Expert series, and I'm pleased to say that today we have an award-winning BBC radio presenter. She's had her own show for the last 18 years, three hours of talk radio, six days a week, so I don't think she'll be lost for words today. She's a broadcaster with very loyal listeners. She has her own podcast and her own YouTube channel. She is Joanne Good. Joe, thanks so much for joining us down the line today. Now, Joe, you must know that you have one of the most distinctive voices on radio. You have a fantastic voice. Have you always had a great voice? I know. My <laughs> voice is everything you as an actress, if you're doing a lot of theatre work, do not want. Because it is the sum of my life, my voice. So I was a very chatty child. I've been a very chatty person. So it's almost exhausted, my voice, if you think about it. I used to try and yodel a lot. So that probably gave me my first round of nodules. I mean, in fact, I don't even know if I've got... I've never been tested for nodules. I assume the whole lot's nodules up. I don't know. But I would try and yodel. Then I would smoke. When I got to 16, I smoked. Don't copy me, kids, because this is what happens. This is the legacy of nicotine. And I would smoke 20 Marlboro a day. I almost ate them, Robin. I loved them so much. Um, <laughs> And that added to this, but it's now become my trademark and it's earned me my, you know, my income for the past 25 years. It was very fragile when I was an actress. Uh, if I got a cold, I would lose it. But I've also learned how to get around that now because on radio, I've done a radio show almost miming, you know, with so little voice, but there's ways of getting around it. And what do you do if you do have a sore throat? I steam. Do you? I don't steam, no, I sip cider vinegar and water. Now, that has been recommended as well, because I think that kills bacteria. But the steaming, there is this thing called a steaming pot, which is like a bedpan, a porcelain bedpan. Mm -hmm. um, and you could stick the funnel in your mouth and breathe in the steam. It just moisturizes the larynx and the vocal cords. But I will tell you something else, Robin, and I don't know if you know this. There is a larynx, a voice box physiotherapist around the corner from where I live. Yes, I do know, yes. You know, physio ed. So yes. when you go in there and they literally raise your voice box back up. So mine has dropped all the way down to my ankles. Is that through age, Jeff? That's through age. <laughs> Is it? Seriously, why does the voice box drop? Because the older you get, it's like any other muscle, it gets slack. So if you go into this physio ed round the corner, you sit there with all these opera singers as like every member of the Royal Shakespeare Company all these singers who are all West End stars who are belting it out, they have literally have their larynxes raised back up through this mm. therapy. So you come out like a boy soprano, but it will sink back down. It's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of people say they don't like the sound of their own voice. A lot of people, when they come to me, I've never smoked and my voice is my voice. My voice, interesting enough, I think is my father's voice, exactly as my father sounded. Do you think we inherit voices? I mean, do you have the same voice as your mother, for example? I think so. It's so interesting. I've never talked about this before. I knew your father. And you are absolutely right. You have his voice and you also have his tonal mannerisms. Very kind. It's a very kind, warm voice, which your father also had. My mother's voice, when she answers the phone, she gives out the phone number, which I have never heard anyone do since <laughs> the Howard days. Mayfair 213. <laughs> and I laugh because... It's in the same twangy, you know, we lived in Australia for 13 years and she picked up this very, forgive me all the Aussies out there, but it's a, Aussies is a very lazy accent. It's very easy. If I'm with an Australian, I will just start twanging. And she's still got a bit of that. And I've still got a bit of it. And it's like our voices just hit you between the eyes. 
So yes, you're right. I think you not only grow into your parents, you actually mm. sound like your parents. And what's the difference, would you say, between using a voice on the radio or doing a voiceover voice, kind of as we're doing now, which is a sort of intimate one-to-one conversation, as opposed to being on stage as an actress? How do you physiologically feel differently in terms of what you're doing? I don't, actually. Do you know, well, I don't project, obviously, which you um, which you do on stage, although I don't know. Robin, I think they are everywhere is mic'd now. It pretty much is, actually, yeah. No, I think there are mics literally everywhere. I've been to the Don Mar, I've been to these places which are basically a room and the actors are mic'd. And I think that's because our ears expect it. We expect to have full surround sound. Mm-hmm. We don't like to have to even lean forward to hear something, which we would have done. You know, imagine people doing panto at the Palladium with no mics full of kids screaming. It would have been heard. But they did have very, very strong voices in those days. Of course, you can't have the subtlety with that or the intimacy that you have. You're a really good listener. So how do you listen on the radio when you're not speaking? Well, the reason I probably am a good listener is because you certainly on the radio can't fool the listener. I find people fascinating and they open the door every day. In fact, my show is three and a half hours long. I do apologise, three and a half hours, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> but, you know, within those three and a half hours, they will shove someone in front of me who I've never met before that I've expected to interview, often with a massive ego. And those are actually the people that I enjoy less talking to. The people I love talking to are my listeners who phone up. And going back to your earlier question is how do I use my voice? Often, given, and I don't know when you're going to be playing this out, but given we're in lockdown at the moment, people are really emotional calling at their local radio station. They're really emotional. I was on air when Princess Diana died, and you would just hear sobbing down the phone. And what you have to do is you have to allow them time. You also have to realise if they're coming out with a long-winded story, your listeners are going to start turning you down, turning you off, or tuning into LBC. So you've got to somehow get them back on track. You can't use hand motions or anything. So I will open my mic and go, hmm, which will make, it gives them a sort of, oh, she's nudging me, she's prodding me. Or even she's encouraging. Absolutely encouraging. And there are moments, and I went through the menopause when I was doing this radio show. And some days I would be so emotional that a story, a listener's story who I'd never met before, would have me holding back the tears. Now, The listeners know when I'm in that state because I can hardly for once speak. So I will just come out with, hmm, cool. And I'm literally holding it back. Then when they've hung up, I then have to gather my thoughts, sum up what that call is about. It could be someone who's in lockdown, whose kids are going crazy upstairs, whose mother is dying in hospital and they can't get to see them. Mm. All these horrendous stories. I have to hold it together. And Robin, what I've found now is... I don't hold it together. I just become emotional. And people trust you. They forgive you. They lean in a bit. And when I was originally like this during menopause, people would email my producer going, is she okay? What the hell's going on? Now they just accept (laughs) it. They just go, okay. Because people know you and they hear you maybe five or six times a week, you become, as Richard Bryce said, like a friend of the family. He always said, you know, I'm not an actor, I'm a friend of the family. And I think that if you're on television that amount, certainly if you're in a big soap opera, people see you on the street and they think you are that person. They know you. I remember bumping into Lulu once. I'd never met Lulu in my life. And I said, oh, hello, how are you? And she said, I'm fine, how are you? We had this long conversation. I walked away thinking, that was Lulu. That was absolutely bizarre. And very sweetly, she played along with it. But as you'd no idea who I was, I'm quite sure. Lovely, that's a real etiquette. 
because she will have known completely what had happened there. She would of course. Have somebody who recognises me. And she would have played along. I mean, that is, I love that when humanity works like that. When I was in Educating Rita, the only line I remember from it is E.M. Forster says, only connect. Mm. That is what I believe life is about. Just connect. Because we are pack animals. We're all in this, you know, humanity. Never mm. more have we been all in it together than we are now. Just connect. And it's the way, you know, some people can't and yet they want to. And you can see it. I work with a very young team who have not had the chapters that I've had of being built up, knocked down, ridiculed, revered, whatever. They're just young and they don't have the confidence. They want to, but they can't. It comes with age. Yes. You know, if you become, as I say, a friend of the family, people trust you. So when something like Diana dies or whatever, people are drawn to particularly, I think, to radio. What is it about radio that draws people in at those moments, that, that connects them, as you say? because it's immediate. Radio will always, if you think of, you know, war was announced, war was V-Day, it was all declared on the radio. It's immediate. It's like, when I can sit down and do my show, my three and a half hour show, often, if there's a story around like there is at the moment, or Diana, or Grenfell, or, or any terrorist attack, these massive stories, mm-hmm. you have no running order, you have reporters who are all over the place, you don't even know when they're going to come on air because they're trying to get to the place they're reporting from, you sit and you just talk to the listeners. And the connection is just let them know how you're feeling. I mean, you are never allowed to speculate. You're never allowed to make them fearful. You have to be calm and informative. But also, if you've got no information, you know, the London Bridge attack happened again when I was on air. They come in and they say, this is breaking news. You must report it. But then, you know, in television, there'd be an auto cue with someone type, 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 and giving you a script. In radio, the producer's running around trying to find the reporters on another outside source, so you just keep filling, because in those instances, you cannot play music. It's totally inappropriate. I don't know if you remember when Diana died, they just said play Greensleeves. Greensleeves went on and on and on. Why Greensleeves? I thought they might have played Vaughan Williams or something. To be honest, Robin, and no one, I don't think anyone's actually ever written about this, there was not really a system in place. There was what we used to call an obituary box, which was mm. hard copy paper, which was kept under the desk. People used to put their feet on it. It would have various people's obituaries in, and I don't, for the life of me, think Diana's was in there. There was no, It wasn't digital. It was pre-digital. So mm. no one knew what to do. And I remember they said, play green sleeves until John Humphreys is in broadcasting house and he will take over. Had it been announced by this point? It had been announced, and then all local radio stations, all commercial stations, everybody started to play Greensleeves. It was quite extraordinary. And then John Humphreys came on, I think it was John Humphreys, or it could have been James Lockerty, one of the two, came on air and then started to talk about it. And then we were all allowed to get into place in our local radio stations and just take calls, and the calls didn't stop. It was in a very emotional time. I remember I went to see the flowers at Kensington Palace, and whilst I was there, it was like a release for the nation in a, in a weird way, like everybody coming together. And I put my phone on silent, thinking the last thing I want is my phone to go off by mistake here. Anyway, my phone did ring. It was my voiceover agent saying, would you go to BBC to record the trailer for her funeral? So I jumped in my car, I went to Television Centre and I recorded the BBC trail for her funeral. It was very emotional being there, so I felt connected to that. But when you're in the studio and something suddenly happens elsewhere, how can you feel connected? 
all you can be is honest. And I've only just learned this because I did not train as a journalist. I didn't train to do breaking news stories where every detail has to be right or to be on air when Diana died because you can't speculate, you can't blame, you can't, you know, people are literally sobbing down the phone. Mm. You have to somehow just keep it all together for those people listening. And all you can do in that situation is be honest. And so, so you know, I, on London Bridge, I freely said, I have no idea. I have no idea what has happened, but I will let you know as soon as I am told. Meanwhile, I will be talking to you. If you're in the area, call me. If you are heading in that area, call me. And you just keep going with Diana. You just say, what was she? What did she represent in your life? And I mean, this is all about communication. Her communication, you know, Robin. You can have as many PRs, you can have, I'm sent thousands of press releases of people that they want on the show. And most people don't jump out at you. There are loads of royals who would have loved to have had the clickbait that she had. She communicated. You know, whatever you thought about Diana, she pulled your eye. And she was a huge communicator. And I think that that was half the problem is that we followed her every move and suddenly it was gone. Yes, I agree. I met her once and I uh, have to say she was incredibly charming. Communication for me has always been about making other people feel special. If you go through life making other people feel special, life is relatively easy. If you go through life and you say, just look at me, I'm important, people just want you to slip on the banana skin. I don't think it's any more complicated than that. I think you're right. I have a fascination for people and you have a curiosity about people. And I think that means you're halfway to communication. It's not a forced thing. Each one of us is a whole set of chapters and a wonderful investigation. If you just take off the layers, and it's wonderful to help people reveal the layers and to help them to do it. And again, I mean, as is evident in this interview, you listen and it's batting and bawling. Listen, listen to what that person is saying and then respond to what they've said not to what you'd wanted to say next but to mm. what they've actually said the other thing is about being present when you're also driving the show if you're technically operating the desk and your brain is doing several things how can you stay present with an emotional listener it's now it's so interesting you saying that because also at the same time you have a producer talking through your ear so you've done enough of this where you're talking and they're talking to you and you've got to somehow keep the momentum going someone can say to me joe fill for 95 seconds and i can do it without even looking at a clock most people would say to me if, if i'm coaching them they would say yes but my mind goes blank how do you not go blank in that moment well it depends i mean there are in radio there are real cheats you can time check which will give you two beats to think so you can say it's 325 and whilst you're saying that parrot fashion your brain is going and what the hell will i follow <laughs> Or the very clever ploy where you back anno and forward anno. So you can say, you know, I don't know if you were listening earlier on, I was talking about this. And that again gives you, think it's like treading water when you're swimming. So, you know, there are ploys because, well, you know, Robin, for the brain to be working quickly and the mouth to be talking at the same time, it is that cliche of the swan gliding along. And in your head, you are literally thinking, right, I have got to let this play out. The words that I'm forming can't just be a sense of consciousness. I have to make sense of what I'm saying because people can't see my face. They can only hear my voice. It's a question of trust, really, isn't it? You trust from experience that something will come. Oh, yes. And I mean, that's one of the things I have learned, I suppose, because, well, you know this, I started as an actress where 
I was in vision all the time and often the aesthetics of how I looked was very important to what I was employed to do and how I behaved. Well, all of that has been removed. You know, there's this, this, this thing you've got to face for radio, meaning it doesn't care, it doesn't matter what the hell you look like. What you've got to do is communicate. And all you've got to do that, as you well know, is a voice. When I came into radio, they said to me, picture your listener. Now that sounds ridiculous because I have half a million listeners of all different creeds, colors, ages, and gender. But in my head, I have a listener who sits on my desk by my monitors that tells me exactly where I'm peaking and where I'm not peaking. You just keep talking to that listener. The li I mean, Wogan called them the listener. He, was, he never said, dear listeners, it no. was listener. And you picture your listener. So when all is against you and technology is letting you down and you can't find this source and you can't find that reporter, you've got a producer shouting through you, picture your listener and talk to them. That's how you stay present. I was just a pure journalist. I would say the listener came to me because I was the first at giving the news. They don't, they certainly don't come to me because I'm the first at giving the news. They come to me because of what we started off this discussion saying, my voice, my so-called warmth, my integrity, my empathy, my honesty, because I will literally say to them, I've had the worst day. I can't stand it when the weather's like this. It makes me never want to get out of bed, but they force me into it. So they just trust me. And so that's my listener, someone who thinks, okay, yes, I want to hear Jo's take on it because I trust her take on it. Do you know, she will just tell me what she feels and I trust that. And that's communication. Well, Jo, it's been a joy to talk to you as always. You are one of the best radio presenters I know. You reveal a lot about yourself without being too much heart on your sleeve. And I think that's a very difficult balance to pull off. And I think you do pull it off really well. But ultimately, I think you're an extraordinary listener. It's an odd thing to say to a radio presenter because you think a radio presenter is about presenting. But I think 50% of it is listening and you're extraordinary at that. And I'm really thrilled you were my first guest on the Communication Experts series. So thank you very much for coming on, Joe. I'm welling up now. And in my honesty, I will say I am welling up. That was one of the loveliest things anyone's ever said. So thank you. My pleasure. For more information on my online public speaking masterclass, visit robinkermo.com.